Hello, it's Craig from the future here, just to tell you that the podcast you're about to listen to was recorded after the announcement that Ruby Rose is leaving Batwoman, but before some of the subsequent news that came to light. Bear this in mind when listening to us speculate on what the future for that show may be. It was also recorded before the announcement of Hartley Sawyer's firing from The Flash, so our Ralph speculation is a little out of date. You can chart the Batwoman news through the subsequent Batwoman, Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow podcasts, with the Hartley Sawyer news being discussed on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. Isn't time travel fun? Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Hi, this is Sean Sipos. I play Adam Strange on Krypton, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the fastest podcast alive. I'm your host Craig, and once again, that time has come to discuss the show I often question my reason for watching. It is, of course, The Flash. Of course, it would be harder for me to talk to myself unless I travelled through time, but the Craig Point timeline wasn't much fun, so I won't do that again. I'll need a partner. Here from the depths of the Speed Force to remind me of what I'm doing wrong all the time, it's Andrew. Hello, let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah, it's flash time, and I don't mean... Well, actually, it is like watching something that never seems to progress, so no, it is a lot like flash time. That's true, yes, and also much like the time in which we're currently living as well. Yeah, that is definitely flash time. For people in the future, where humans have split up into factions that are fighting over the last scraps of tinned food, we recorded this during the time of coronavirus, where there was still technology. So I don't know how you're listening to this. Maybe you have one of those last phones that just haven't run out of battery yet. Who knows? Yeah, well, if nothing else survives to the post-apocalyptic future, it will be Nokia 3310s. Yeah, but they can't play podcasts on them. That's true. We can only play Snake. Yep, that's all. Play Snake. And was there any other games? I think it was just Snake. There were, but I can't remember what they were. Some for you to find out. Okay, but before we decide to talk about The Flash Season 6, we will do some kneeling before and rising against... So what would you like to kneel before? Right, I am going to be kneeling before the fifth and final season of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. And this is completely unironically, I absolutely love this series. If you're unaware of it, it's a reboot of the 80s She-Ra series and is basically really, really girly has a target audience of tween girls. It is full of glitter and sparkles and horses and unicorns and rainbows, and it is utterly magnificent. (laughs) I totally mean that. I'm not joking or anything like that. The writing in it is absolutely superb. There's so much focus on inter-character dynamics, 
And pretty much everyone in it is portrayed as neither really wholly good or evil or perfect or infallible, just kind of like somewhere in between everything, like real people are. It's really inventive. In places, it's actually quite exciting and also really funny. And just a really whole hell of a lot of fun. And I would genuinely recommend it to people. Cool. And that's on Netflix, is it? It is, yes. Yeah. Is Shira a spin-off of He-Man? I've probably asked this before. The 80s version was, yes. She was basically a sort of distaff counterpart to He-Man. And in that actual crossover origin tie-in movie called The Secret of the Sword, it's actually shown that She-Ra and He-Man were actually twins. Okay. But She-Ra was stolen away as a baby and taken to Ethereal. Very it's, Star Wars. Well, there's there's only so many fantasy archetypes, so, <laughs> so you need to play with them as well as you can. Is He-Man in this at all? or does it No. no. Okay. There is going to be uh, He-Man and Masters of the, of the Universe series, which Kevin Smith is currently working on. Oh, yeah. Um, I did hear about that one, yeah. Yeah, though... Not sure if it'll actually have any connection to this. And given that this is actually now ended before the Seaman series even started, it might well not. Because it's just allowing it to be its own thing, not something that only exists as a result of Seaman. You mean things can exist without being part of a big, massive universe? It's a dangerous and controversial way of thinking, and I'm hoping more people can think of ideas about it. It'll never work. People like things to be connected. Why else would you watch anything else? I need to know how this insignificant thing feeds into this other thing. And exactly how which insignificant background character with two lines in one movie will come back to have some greater significance over a decade later. Yeah. I'm all for that sort of stuff. I live for that sort of stuff, (laughs) apparently. Okay, so check that out if you're interested in some animated Netflix stuff. Cool. My Neil Before won't surprise anybody. And the funniest thing is I'm saying this at actually 17.01, one minute past five. So <laughs> I'm going to kneel before the a recent announcement that we are getting a new Star Trek series featuring Captain Pike, Spock, and number one, and presumably the rest of the crew of the Enterprise that haven't been given names or featured really in Discovery. We've been promised, well, we haven't been promised this at all. We've been clamoring for this for a long time. They've been teasing us for a long time. Hashtag they built the sets. Everyone said. So so now they're going to use the sets and we get to see an early, well, who knows when it will be set, presumably after Discovery, but before Pike has his not quite fatal, but probably wishes it was fatal accident. Yes, the the Delta Wave radiation encounter. Yeah. So we're getting it and I'm pretty excited. And uh, I do remember how excited I was about Picard and how I thought this was going to be like the second coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jean-Luc. But it wasn't. So I'm trying to temper my expectations. But they're doing the right buzzwords. They're saying their promise. It's a return to episodic storytelling with an optimistic outlook. So if that's true, then good. I think Anson Mount's one of the best things to happen to the Star Trek franchise ever. And it's just great that we're getting more of the Enterprise, more of this version of Pike. And it's kind of hilarious that Captain Pike is getting his own series after not getting his own series 15 mm-hmm. odd years ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on this one. I think it, it's fantastic news because yeah, I also absolutely loved Anson Mount as Pike. He was a great interpretation of, of the character. I loved how he fitted into the last season of Discovery. And I think that him, 
him getting his own series of adventurers on the Enterprise that aren't beholden to the requirements of anybody else will be something to really look forward to. Yeah, definitely. So we'll keep watching the space to see what they actually come up with. But it's an exciting time to be a Star Trek fan. And I think Picard proved that I'm not going to like everything. But I shouldn't like everything, you know. It's Maybe I should. Or... Yes, I want this franchise to conform to what exactly I want from it. In the case of Picard, I would have liked it to just conform to what it was trying to be rather than whatever it turned out to be. But that's a whole other podcast that we already did. Yeah, well, isn't that what being a fan is? Just a ceaseless litany of unrealistic expectations and bitter disappointment when it, do- it doesn't conform to every single tiny minutia of, of your demands of, of what it needs to be? I mean, that is a take on fandom. I don't think I would like to subscribe to that particular take myself. I'd like to think that I can be surprised and I cast off this purism that some people get stuck into. I actually have no real expectations for this Strange New World series because I still don't really know what the old Star Trek format looks like on a modern TV setup. I mean, Discovery sort of flirted with the episodic sort of thing with a serialisation behind it in its second season. Picard was just a 10-hour movie, as they kept saying, and so on. So what does a purely episodic look like in this era of television? I'm honestly not sure what the last purely episodic thing I ever watched actually was. The first thing I can think of off the top of my head was a few few years ago, there was this series called Intelligence that had Josh Holloway from Lost as a CIA agent with a neural chip in his head that could control technology and was teamed up with... Secret Service agent uh, Megnori from Once Upon a Time, and the episodes of that were fairly standalone. But, yes. uh, yeah, but if I think, watch things like CSI or whatever, they would be in that mold. But yeah, I think a lot of police procedural stuff is is kind of like that, but in in the more genre sphere that we're a lot more focused on, it's usually far more arc driven nowadays. Yeah, and I don't think the series will be arc driven in the sense that the Enterprise is on one mission and it takes them twelve weeks to get it over with. What I think the serialisation will be is the character interactions and the relationships that develop over the course of the series. But every episode will be, the Enterprise goes to this planet and does this, or they respond to a distress call from this damaged ship and stuff happens. And Spock ends up arguing with someone in engineering for a bit, I don't know. And there are philosophical takes on what it truly means to be a human, and discussions of situations in which violating the Prime Directive can be for the best. Yep, if they don't have a half-hour discussion round a table... I will hate this show forever. Because yeah, that's what Star Trek should be, damn it. Yep. Sitting around a table with PowerPoint. It's what we need. It's what we deserve. Maybe it is what we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thought. Anyway, about to turn this into a Star Trek podcast, which may not enamour some who have come to hear us talk about The Flash, so we will move on. What would you like to rise against? Right, I am... Rising against the quite surprising news that Ruby Rose is going to be leaving the role of Batwoman, and that in the, the second season, the part is going to be completely recast. But aside from that, carrying on as normal. Yeah, a weird one. It seemed to come pretty much out of nowhere, and yeah, I'm quite, quite disappointed by it, because, because I think that she did brilliantly in, in the role of Kate and over the course of the series completely made it her own. So for whatever issues that she's been having behind the scenes, which everyone is being noticeably cagey about, they must have been quite serious 
for her to just decide to pack it in after so short a time. Yeah, obviously we'll talk in more depth about this when we do the actual Batwoman Season 1 podcast, but it definitely bears remarking because as we record this, it only broke like last night, late last night from the UK perspective, and it's just one of those things where it's like, holy crap, it's the lead of a new show. It's just stepped down after Season 1, like what's going on? But Batwoman is kind of unfortunate as a, a new show because... It got mired with the production issues caused by this coronavirus thing, so it didn't even get its full season. It just shut down at some point, and we don't really know how it's supposed to end. But I think the writing could be on the wall for this show, because I don't think it can really recover from a recast like this. And when you think back to the other Arrowverse shows, I think that they owe a large amount of their success to the fact that people have engaged with the cast more than anything else. Yeah. In particular, Stephen Amell, who's constantly interacting with fans yeah. over social media. Their affection for him as a person, as well as the character of Oliver, is part of what made the show such a success. Yeah. You haven't really heard a peep from Ruby Rose since the show started, though. Actually, no, you're right. I know she left Twitter because people reacted in the way that people react when she was cast. Yeah, but that's Twitter. Twitter is a royal hellscape of a site that yeah. you shouldn't use, but... Again, we'll have to. Yeah, and I kind of thought that when she was cast, she might have been a little bit too famous for the role. I mean, I know she hasn't done a great deal, but she has a kind of bit of pedigree behind her, doesn't she? In terms of roles that she's done in the past, Orange is the New Black and so on. It seemed to be a good get for the lead of a CW superhero show, whereas if you look at previous, Stephen Amell, who was that guy, Grant Gustin, um, guest star on Glee, you know. What's up noise? Was it an episode of Homeland? Yeah, but she also was a regular on Glee for a couple of seasons, or one season. Or oh, yeah. I'd never actually watched it. I've not gotten to that point yet, but I do quite like Glee. It's a very strange guilty pleasure, and I would recommend it. Not enough to know before it at this point, but yeah. Jane Lynch is funny. So I haven't got to the point where she appears, but it's going to be weird because, again, we'll talk in more detail about it, but it's going to be weird to just watch someone else wander in and be like, Hi, I'm Kate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because the only time I can think of where where a show probably survived its lead being changed unexpectedly was Spartacus, where the guy playing Spartacus and Andy Whitfield actually died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You can't do anything about that. Yeah, was in the recast with Liam McIntyre, who you might remember as the guy who played Weather Wizard on The Flash. And for the first few episodes of season two of that, it was really weird seeing him there because it was like it was like an imposter that people were for some reason not reacting to. So they didn't wink at it at all. They just oh, kind of no, forged no, ahead. Not the slightest. They did do a prequel series to it, which the character of Spartacus wasn't a part of. Where it looked like Andy Whitfield was going to recover, but then when he actually died, then they thought like, no, we've yeah, we've actually got to do this. And then I brought a new guy. And incidentally, in the auditions for it, uh, Stephen Amell was actually down to the last three for the oh, role. Okay. How different the world could have been. Yeah. I know that they recast Lethal Weapon, the TV show, because the guy playing Riggs, I think, is just not a very nice person, so they got rid of him. Yeah, I remember reading that, but I never watched the show. Yeah, me neither. But I think that killed the show. People just weren't interested after that. It did also happen with Altered Carbon, though that's actually an organic part of the show itself. Yeah. Because the whole point of the setting is that people are able to transfer the consciousnesses in between bodies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you yeah. can recast and they can be the same person. And it's yeah. Fine. And in the novels that 
series is based on. The main character, Takeshi Kovac, he's in a different body in, in each book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so having someone else take over the role is actually kind of following canon. Yeah, or you've got the obvious things like Doctor Who. Yeah. Where, again, it's part of the DNA of the show. Exactly. Which originally was, was brought around due to necessity, but then became an integral aspect of it. Yeah. And I think if in Supergirl they decided to recast John Jones, it'd be easy enough because he's a shapeshifter. I'm exactly. just not going to wear this face anymore for some reason. Because um, maybe I decided that uh, looking like a bigoted cyborg murderer is maybe not a good look anymore. Yep. Although that seems to have fallen by the wayside, so that's fine. Yeah, but yeah. They, they crack it out as an excuse if it were necessary. Yeah. But to hear more of us talk about the Batwoman recasting, listen to the Batwoman podcast, which may or may not exist by the time you listen to this. I don't know, because I'm at the point before it's edited, and you're listening to it at the point in the future where it is edited. It's a great future where things are edited. I want to be there right now. What is time anymore? What is time Time is, yeah, who knows. So we'll talk more about that at that point, but it sucks and there's clearly more to it because her statement is about as cookie cutter as it gets. So we may never know until she appears on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast and, like, <laughs> and talks about it. Sounds about right. Because I'm sure that Stephen Amell said things on that podcast that he really wasn't supposed to or that people wouldn't like the fact that he said, but he said them. So what are they going to do? Fire him? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So my rise against is a bit different. It's going to be another scream film. Do we need another scream film? Like, what more is there to do? It's no. a send up of the horror genre, and it was clever enough for what two and a bit of them. The first two, I would say, are good. Yeah, the, the first two are fantastic. They're like brilliant send up of, of slasher movies. Yeah. The third one, it wasn't as good as a film, though it did conclude the story well enough and put me fun at, at the idea of film series retconning details in order to make things seem more thought out in advance and more clever than they actually are. Then Scream 4 was just unnecessary. I haven't seen the fourth one. Well, the reason that one exists is because they decided it was time to have a send-up of slasher movie remakes. (laughs) But it had the same pitfalls of a lot of series whose heyday was quite some time ago and that now attempting to modernise in that they seem to believe that just having having a cast of recognisable young faces and references to contemporary technology and apps and how people act on the internet is enough to update it and make it feel like it truly exists, which it didn't. It was a minimum of social commentary. Exactly. It was just there. And for another one, maybe it'll be the kind of thing that's happening now with Halloween and other movies, I can't think of the top of the head, where new movies are being made that are direct sequels to original installments and completely ignoring anything and everything to have happened in the interim. Yeah, that could happen. I'm just not that interested. I know that Neve Campbell's in talks, David Arquette's in talks. It just screams everything that's kind of wrong with these things. It's like, oh yeah, we're bringing back the original actors so that you might watch it. And then when you do watch it, you're like, mm, I probably shouldn't watch that. It doesn't need to exist. No. Because everything that the films have to say has already been said. And making another movie to say them again is not going to add anything to cultural zeitgeist. No. And I watched the first episode of the TV series, which I thought was trash as well. Oh, it is. It's completely trash all the way through it. Yeah, I didn't watch any more. But I remember the bit in the first episode where they talk about, you can't adapt slasher films to TV. There's not enough there. And then they spend the rest of the episode proving that they're right. 
Yeah, it's like, oh my God, aren't we so meta? Yeah. It's like that joke in X-Men Apocalypse where they say, the third one's always the worst. And then they go ahead and prove it yes. over the next hour or so. One thing that a lot of writers don't seem to understand is is that acknowledging your faults and pointing out mistakes that you've made doesn't actually make up for them. Yeah. It just shows that you are aware of what you've done wrong Yeah, and you've not bothered to work hard enough to rectify it. Yeah. Acknowledging your dumb thing and then doing that dumb thing doesn't forgive the fact that you do that dumb thing. Precisely. Yeah. Okay. So that is that. Some stuff in there that people can check out or look forward to or not look forward to, as the case may be. But we shall move on to our featured topic. The Flash recently finished its sixth season. Slightly earlier than expected, which is, I suppose, unfortunate. Or maybe fortunate, we'll discuss. So you want to kick us off with your spoiler-free thoughts on the season. What did you think of season six overall? Overall, I thought it was a bit of an improvement on the last few seasons. might partly have been down to Crisis actually giving us something to work towards. This time there was a little bit more focus on the characters and making some small attempts to actually develop them, rather than just doing little other than having the same conversations over and over again. That's not to say that it doesn't happen, because it always does. But I liked it more, and... It does make me slightly hopeful that it can continue improving and possibly get back to something close to its early days when I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'd echo that. I think the award that you can give Season 6 of The Flash is most improved. Well, they had a new showrunner this year. I forget his name, but they took great steps into trying to fix the problems of the past, at least to some degree, do something a bit different. This sort of double graphic novel approach that they kept saying, we'll have the first half of the season about one villain, second half of the season about another villain. They're basically stealing that from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Gotham, which is one thing, but yeah, it works because it means that we're not sitting there every week wondering why we should still care about The Thinker or still care about Cicada. I almost forgot who that was. (laughs) just... It gets to the point where it's like, oh god, this guy again. You know, where it's they survive yet another engagement where they manage to not defeat him and and yes, they like, continue going on until the end of the season. Yes, how many different times can you have exactly the same result? Yeah. And also going into it, you know that it's not going to be resolved because you're only on like episode eleven. Yeah. And there's some elements I really liked that they threw in. I think the fact that it had a shorter season unexpectedly is actually a good thing, which I'll get to in the spoiler section, because it seems that what they had actually planned for the end of the season I was going to hate. So hmm. they have a chance to not do that now, which is a good thing, or could be a good thing. So yeah, not bad. I found it somewhat watchable some of the time, which is more than I can say for the last couple of seasons. Remind me why I still watch this show again, or why I kept going this long. I guess either a regretful sense of obligation or just emotional masochism. It's in case they mention something that will be important in Supergirl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, they never will, but they might. There's always the possibility. So, shall we launch into the spoiler force, assuming it still exists, of course, and dig deep? Let's do the thing. Let's do the thing. Okay, so now we can talk about whatever we want. So let's start with the first half of the season. 
The problem is this season's had so many gaps that I haven't seen the first half of it in quite a while and I've kind of forgotten quite a lot of it, but we'll see how it goes. So the first half of the season had a villain by the name of Bloodwork, played by Sendil Ramamurthy of Heroes fame, playing a very similar role to the role he played in yeah. Final enough. Even with the same sort of story that they take him down, which, I don't know, was he just like, I feel like I've done this before. Maybe I can resolve it this time instead of the writer strike ruining it. No, it was after the writer strike for him, but yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of him as a villain because I found him completely unsympathetic. But every episode he was talking about things that were trying to make him seem sympathetic. And it's like, yeah, I see what you're saying, but you're taking life and death into your own hands here and you're not apologising for anything and you're just actively fighting against the fact that you could be making the world a better place because it's what you want. So it doesn't really work. Yeah, I'm pretty much of the same opinion. And it seemed like he was a villain lately. didn't really bother to develop that much because they knew that he wasn't going to be around for very long. And because everyone knew that Crisis on Infinite Earths was going to kick off halfway through the season, then everything that involved him had to be wrapped up in a comparatively short number of episodes. And because of that, they didn't really bother doing much with him, other than having just constantly spouting the same trite villain declarations that we've seen a score of times previously and never get any less boring. Yeah, and the thing is, I think Crisis was a double-edged sword for this show and for the other ones, to be fair, because it's almost like waiting to get to the fireworks factory. It's like we just have to put up with this first half of the season before we can get there. But I did like that they tried to tie it into the whole Barry's going to die story by having at least the temptation that he might not have to if he gives in to Ramsay's offer to you know, merge their powers and it'll give him the power to control life and death, which potentially lets him survive Crisis. I mean, it ends up being pointless. And if you want to know more about that, listen to the Crisis podcast. We're not really going to talk about it here because we've already done it. It's relevant-ish, but not relevant, but... I think the fact that Barry was tempted by the fact that he could survive this if he just embraces this different yet dangerous set of powers was an interesting idea. Yeah, and when you have a villain whose power is effectively making people into zombies, then you're pretty limited in the number of ways that that can be resolved. It is pretty much a given that things are eventually going to return to normal, particularly when Barry himself becomes infected, then you know that the process is reversible. Yeah. The episode where Barry was stuck in the sort of mind space and got shown, this is what the world could be like if you embrace this power, and it's where he runs into the scene of an accident, and he's too late, despite the fact that he's the fastest man alive. He's always too late, but he's able to bring the dead person back to life. You can see why that would be tempting. And then when he does embrace it because he rejects the speed force for reasons, because they've manipulated him and stuff, and I think that's an interesting idea in itself, but as soon as that happens, it's like, well, this is definitely no better. You're like a mindless zombie, and just look at you. There's black tendrils everywhere, and you've got, like, fangs now. It's really... Off putting. <laughs> Why would you want this? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So how do we how do we make someone look as evil as possible? <laughs> just cover them in black goo. Just use like a cliched visual shortcut <laughs> to who indicates that someone is untrustworthy and no longer of sound mind. Yeah. And I did find it interesting that he was able to warp Barry's perception of the Speed Force as this entity that manipulated him, forced powers on him, made him 
do certain things, took him away from his family, that kind of stuff. And it's one of those things, yeah, if you skew the perspective just enough, the Speed Force can be seen as a villain, when of course they're not, or it's not. Although its motivations are vague because they just change depending on what they're supposed to do in that episode. Yep. Because again, that's how this works. It's like Jorel in Smallville. It's like, I want you to do this this week because the plot demands it. Because reasons. Yeah. Because I've decided that I'm going to be a dick this week and make you do these things. Like, okay, but that's a discussion for a Smallville podcast that may or may not ever happen. That's about all I remember from that plot, really. There's a lot I remember about the kind of build-up to Crisis and they did keep mentioning it a lot without really progressing it that much. I did like the forward movement that they made for Crisis, such as him trying to run into the future and there was no future to run into. And then yeah, having to go yeah. see Jay Garrick, who was marrying his mother, <laughs> you know, or, or in a relationship with his mother. I suppose he's dead now, yeah? Jay. That version of Jay. Well, they could still just depending on what Earth 3 looks like now. Yeah what survived and what didn't. I like that sort of stuff. And the way that every character was trying to prepare for Crisis, to prepare for not having Barry around, and the fact that he was trying to prepare them for that by, okay, I'm going to teach you a bit of leadership stuff. And I did like the idea of Killer Frost saying, hang on, I don't have a life. Like, what will it mean for me to lose it? And Caitlin has to kind of sit back for a bit and let her do her stuff, let her become a person, which was something where before they've done nothing. So that's interesting-ish. Yeah, because it has been a bit back and forth as to exactly what Killer Frost is. Regardless of, of what they did previously, the decision to turn her into an actual person I think was a decision that, that has improved things. Yeah, because of the point of view of you only let me out when you need to fight someone, that's a valid point. If she is a, just a fully distinct personality that exists within her, rather than just being a part of her psyche that she doesn't let control her, then it's valid. Yeah, you've got this person living inside you that you never let have a life. So that's morally dubious at best. It was briefly addressed a while ago when it was suggested that people actually liked Frost more than they liked Caitlin. It was always like, oh, look at these off-screen adventures we had with Frost. <laughs> yeah, although that was more just a throwaway thing that was part of Caitlin's development. Yeah. And then after that, after it was over and done with, they never did much more with it. Yeah, I feel sorry for Danielle Panabaker because I think she's had the short end of the stick when it comes to this whole arc. It started in season three and it's still going on. But I think initially she talked about how she didn't understand why there was doing the split personality thing. Because at first she just thought that she was getting powers and was a bit overwhelmed by them. And then suddenly you have this other person that she has to play. And she doesn't really know where it's going, it seems. And that must be impossible for an actor. Yeah, because when the actor playing a character doesn't properly understand what's happening to them, then it seriously limits how well they can play them. And with the constant alterations of Frost's origins and what caused her to exist and why she exists, it kind of made it any easier. Yeah, can they not just figure out a way to split them apart by this point? It'd be acceptable if it's like, we've found a way to duplicate you and one will be Frost and the other will be Caitlin. That's surely possible in this world. Well, you'd think so. You'd certainly think that we'd end game for this kind of issue. And it's certainly the kind of thing that's been done in sci-fi TV shows previously when there's characters that have more than one consciousness inhabiting the same body. Yeah, 
And obviously Daniel Panabaker fell pregnant while they were making the season, so they had her just kind of sitting behind cushions a lot for the last few episodes <laughs> just to hide it, which was quite funny because it was so transparent. But what else can you do? The only other option they have that they sometimes do is to write the pregnancy into the plot. Yeah, which might have fit Killer Frost. I'm now pregnant. It's like, oh, great. Yeah, and then when she gives birth, that could be Frost. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. You've said so too I'm much. Sorted. They're going to do this now. <laughs> Yeah, well, definitely I want royalties. Yeah, which they won't, because it's an idea that they've probably been thinking about themselves. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first half of the season, I think. I can't think of much else that really happened. Yeah, me neither. we got Nash Wells. He's good. I like Nash. He's one of my favourite Wellsies that we've had. Of the multiple Wellsies. Of the multiple Wellsies. Of the fleshed-out Wellsies, because you do have the... Here's the French one. Here's the cowboy one. Here's yeah. the whatever. Yeah, yeah like the Stokin sci-fi one, the yeah. Gandalf one, yeah. the obnoxiously pretentious German one. Yeah. But this one, I don't think they did enough with it, but I think he had more of a potential to challenge the team than others have or other characters have because we're at the stage where everybody just kind of sits around and agrees with each other. They may have a little bit of a bicker yeah. about stuff, but beyond that, you don't really have someone saying, no, no, you're an idiot. Not since Harry, really. It's always a problem in TV shows when you have an ensemble of characters who largely think in the same way. It completely removes the potential for interpersonal conflict and also the potential for different ways of thinking, Yeah, which can often be useful for them. So having someone who has such a radically different mindset to the rest of them goes some way towards balancing things out. And Nash did that in the beginning. I like that he was doing his own thing for a bit. Before he kind of joined the team, he would appear for a scene or two in an episode and do a thing and then bugger off and (laughs) go and do his own thing. And then accidentally free the anti-monitor. Nice work, guys. Well done. I mean, he would have got out anyway, to be fair. But yeah, it's not Nash's finest moment. So yeah, so learning that everything he's trying to disprove was actually manipulating him to bring it about. Yeah, and they did a bit of good work with Iris early in the season as well, I think branching her off to do her own thing with the citizen so you had some plots focused on her just investigating stuff and it gave camilla something to do i mean camilla's still a character that i don't understand why she's there really yeah yeah she's just there really yeah i mean she's well cisco's girlfriend and we get that episode where they're living together and they seem to be in this like fully committed relationship but we haven't seen this at all We've seen the odd episode where they interact or we saw like their first date and things, which was a Groundhog Day situation that you just couldn't get right, which was amusing enough. But there's no texture to their relationship because you just don't see it. They just show up in an episode and suddenly they've gone past this milestone that should really be remarked on, but isn't. It's really weird. And if you don't see a relationship properly develop, then you don't care about it. Yeah, it's like, why should I care about you? Why are you here? What purpose do you serve? And then any problems that they do have just seem unimportant because you're not invested in them. Yeah, and I still don't understand why Cisco's given up his powers. Because they wanted some kind of plot thing for him to have. I mean, he said they wanted a more normal life without that responsibility, but he's still on Team Flash, still doing broadly the same things. The only difference is he's less useful because he can't do the things that he used to. And also because travel between the multiple Earths has now been shut off and half of what he could do 
you couldn't do any more anyway. Yeah, you could still jump about on this one, though. True, yeah. And you could still fire beams and still have visions of the near future or things that are happening right now and things. So you could still do that, but it was weird. And then they brought his powers back for Crisis for no reason, and then they didn't have them in the new Earth anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, well, again, because the plot needed him to have them. Although they didn't. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it didn't. Yeah, like, it was decided that he needed to have the powers for Crisis, and then they weren't needed. That's the monitor for you. You're just like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to try this now. I'm, I'm... He was completely winging it. He didn't plan a thing. <laughs> he does show up in the first half of the season with portents of doom, but who cares? I'm just trying to think of anything else that happened in the first half of the season with the bloodwork stuff. Nothing really too much. I don't think much more than what we talked about was worth mentioning. Yeah. We still had some good Joe stuff, which was good. Seal is still there for some reason. Because they don't want to get rid of her and TV and film writers don't seem to understand that there can be reasons for a character in relationship with another character to not be there for reasons other than them having broken up. Yeah. Well, they did have Joe away because his back was... I've just taken this newborn child of ours away to visit Wally and yeah (laughs) yeah because that totally makes sense yeah that was was weird so yeah let's move on to the second half of the season I do have a better memory for it the massive gaps in the season didn't help because things come back and you're like what happened what is this following up on what's going on here yeah who are these people but the second half of the season focused on a second stab at a villain that they made a complete hash of the first time. Mirror Master or Mirror Mistress, whichever we want to call her. Cisco hasn't named her yet, so we don't know. But Eva McCulloch, who is a gender-flipped version of Evan McCulloch. And yeah, I liked this villain. I thought she was very different to what's come before. Reason number one that she's different. She doesn't have a personal vendetta against Team Flash. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm only going to fight you when you get in my way, which is, you know, all the time, but I'm not interested in actually taking you down. You're not worth my time. I liked that her motivation was specifically focused on getting revenge on her husband. It made sense. And I like the fact that, what's his name? Uh, Carter, Carver. Joseph Carver was not a good person. And even when he went to Barry, etc., for help, he's still not a good person. So they didn't do this. Well, I'm such a scumbag for these reasons. It's No, I'm just such a scumbag because I'm a such a scumbag. That's what I am. And I'm not going to apologise for it. And then you have this dilemma about does Barry still have to save him? Yes, he does because he's a hero and he doesn't get to choose who lives or who dies. But is he worth saving? There's that dilemma. It's interesting. It's one of the more interesting things they've done in a long time. That kind of moral ambiguity is about as, as new as, as it's been in ages. And it actually seems quite surprising that they're still capable of it. Yeah. And then the season just ends with, okay, I've killed my husband, and now I'm in control of this company. If you get in my way again, there'll be consequences. Otherwise, I'm just going to leave you alone because I don't care. It's fine. And that's a good threat to end the season on, I think. Just establishing that, yeah, she's going to be out there. She's going to be a problem next season because Barry won't be able to leave her alone. And she's untouchable as well, at least for now. Because there will, of course, be some kind of crucial weakness that she has, which will be first vaguely alluded to and then discovered. And then Team Flash will figure out how to exploit it because that's how the progression of the thing goes. Yeah, there'll be some legal thing that she's forgotten. 
that they'll be able to kind of dig into. But I totally agree that it is quite refreshing having a villain with, with different kinds of motivations than what is typically seen. And it's part of what has made this season more interesting and more enjoyable overall. Yeah. It's the shot in the arm it needed because we're... Well, I know I was getting sick of these villains that were just... They're the villains because they're the villains and we're going to spend all season on this. And I mean, I like the idea of the thinker. We want to put the smartest man alive up against the fastest man alive. Fine. That's good in principle. It's good on paper, but in practice it was horrible. Yeah, the problem I have with that was that he didn't really need to be the smartest man alive when Barry was acting so stupidly all the time. Yeah, Barry's an idiot. I could defeat Barry if I really put my hand to it, probably. It's not that hard. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed. He just makes mistakes all the time. So what I was alluding to earlier when I was talking about the ending, I think is actually an improvement because we're left with a lot of questions. What is Eva going to do next? How is that going to impact what Team Flash are up to? Etc, etc. And apparently the season was supposed to end with some Eva Dawn-based cliffhanger. So what I think was going to happen is they were going to wrap up the Eva McCulloch story over the next couple of episodes and then end with the Thawne story, how he returns in some way. It's very likely that he's the one sending the Godspeeds back in time to fight the team because they're always talking about him or their boss or whatever it was. Yeah, let's say the one that's been sending them, the one that they answer to. Yeah, it's probably Thon. It's not a mystery. If it's anyone else but Thon, I'll be shocked. And they are going to have to have some kind of justification for last time we saw Thon, him having a parting words of see you with the next crisis. And then him not turning up in crisis. Yeah. Despite the fact that his name's been on the newspaper article since day one. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And one version of the story actually specifically talks about Green Arrow with Flash, Batwoman, Supergirl and White Canary battling reverse Flash on the streets of Central City. Yeah. And that kind of thing. And then when it came around, it had nothing to do with it. And he was nowhere to be seen. Yeah, it also wasn't our Flash that dies during crisis. So yeah, none of it came true when you really think about it. Yeah, it was obviously that when they announced Crisis, they hadn't written it and hadn't plotted it properly and were sort of just kind of alluding to it with what they had to hand at the time. Yeah. Like in Elseworlds, when they included Psycho Pirate and with him being a part of Crisis in the comics, then obviously you'd expect him to have turned up in this adaptation of it, but he was not there. He was just kind of like dumped in Arkham and not seen again. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, I'd forgotten about that, but... I guess so, the writers. <laughs> it's really weird because they used that before the title card sting of coming next is Crisis on Infinite Earths and here's that teaser for it. Well, we're just not going to use this. Yeah. But, I mean, which is fine. I've got some issues with Crisis, but I, overall I thought it was great and I don't think I missed any of those elements that could or should have been there or whatever. I think it was fine the way it was and... I don't think we really needed Reverse Flash in there. There was enough going on. Yeah, so we'll just instead have to see him come back another way. Because he always has to come back. Yeah. Even when he's been killed or erased from time or permanently incapacitated or any one of a number of ways that should have written him out, he always finds some way to return that's never explained. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all been done at this point. He's been erased, he's been killed, he's been captured, he's been... A weird tachyon ghost that's happened. Although I liked that episode because of what they did with Nash and the way they set up his connection to, well, it's not Allegra. What was her name? I can't remember her doppelganger's name. It was a different name. Oh, um, yeah. Whatever it was. I can't be bothered looking it up. Yeah, Allegra's doppelganger and the fact that she was essentially his adopted daughter and he took her on adventures and got her killed. and It was very predictable that that was what 
was probably going to be it, but I thought it was really interesting, and I liked seeing that side of Nash, and the way they used Thon in that episode was good because it was different. It wasn't just, he shows up and runs around for a bit, and then Barry sort of fights him to an impasse, and then he says, I'm off, I'll see you later, and then runs off. Because that's what he does now, or that's what he was doing. That's basically the crisis on Earth X ending, what I just talked about. (laughs) (laughs) Now that he's been truly established as the one true nemesis, then they can't ever permanently get rid of him. I mean, that's fine, but I think having every season finale, and by every I mean the last one and supposedly this one, end with, oh, it was Thawn all along. It's boring, and we don't need it all the time. So I'm really glad that they didn't get to do that. So, And hopefully someone will sit down and think about it and think, let's not do that. Let's focus on Eva McCulloch here. Yeah. She's interested. Yeah, let's do literally anything else. Yeah. yeah, because like It's a similar kind of thing when Doctor Who always brought back the Daleks. Yeah, or the Master. Darth Master or the Cybermen. Yeah. Obviously, they're going to need to appear because they are iconic adversaries. Yeah. But they don't need to be there that frequently. The very fact that they are iconic villains means that they don't need to be in there all the time. Yeah, and every time they appear, they don't have to be the be-all and end-all. They don't have to be the end game. They can just be a nuisance for a week. Precisely. I mean, the reverse Flash relationship isn't something they've really done a lot with, actually, because... Obviously, season one established this long history between Eobard Thawne and a future version of Barry, or a future alternate version of Barry. And then, as mm-hmm. time goes on, you get Thawne's hatred of him because of stuff that he remembers, but Barry doesn't really remember that much. He just hates him because of what he did to him when he was Harrison Wells, which is perfectly valid. But that century-spanning connection doesn't feel all that strong, at least from the the Barry side, and then you never get that much from Thon's side because he's always just in and out. It's, it's just added as a motivation and not something that is ever going to be really developed or investigated or delved into so that we, the audience, can understand it better. Yeah. One thing I've actually been thinking about recently is because I've been rewatching The Arrowverse with my flatmate because she hasn't seen it and put together this nonsense playlist of a watching order <laughs> that's just insane and you know watch well, the flash for three episodes and then you can go watch legends for a couple of episodes and then go back oh, to Arrow for a couple of episodes. It's, like, <laughs> it's a really novel way to watch it actually it's interesting because you are getting different shows all the time so you're never getting kind of stuck into a particular rhythm which is an advantage and a disadvantage especially now since i'm at the stage of season three of the flash which is horrible but the other shows are good that season, so it's better. So it's not quite as tedious as it was before. Plus, I know what to expect, which makes it easier to swallow. But one thing I was thinking about was way back in season one, when you see, obviously, the initial fight between Thorn and the future alternate Barry in the house, you know, when Nora Allen is killed, that version of The Flash has never been explored at all. Because presumably that's a version that's probably closer to what the comic version is. In the sense that he's a self-made hero, he's learned his powers, mastered his powers, understands how time works and all that stuff. But we've never actually met that version of The Flash. And I would really love them to bring that back. Or, I'd say bring it back, we've never really done anything. Bring it in and let Barry meet that version. 
So you can see the kind of person could have been had the timeline not been changed. And then that gives them a lot of opportunity to play the character because you could have him as somebody radically different. Yeah. Uh, and, and possibly someone less heroic and compassionate and a bit colder and more determined, maybe. Well, it could be interesting because he would be maybe a bit more of a loner because there'd be no team behind him, potentially. Hmm. Although he would still have Iris, I guess, which is one thing. I mean, the version of Crisis that we see in the newspaper has to involve that version, surely. At least the version of the newspaper in the first episode. I assume so, yeah. Though, given how frequently the timeline's been mucked around with, I honestly don't think it's something they're giving much consideration to. No, there's zero thought put into any of it, which is really annoying. Especially at the point I'm at in season three, I'm sitting there trying to think it over, and I'm just it's like, why am I even thinking about this? They haven't. Why am I? So there's that problem. But that's something that's untapped that I'd like to see. Maybe you could have an episode that focuses on that version of The Flash and it is about his rivalry with Thon and how that comes about, how that grows. I don't think you could do that in one episode. I don't know. Maybe you could do it Arrow style and just have it be like a mini-series within the series itself. Have they had an episode titled A Tale of Two Flashes yet? No, they've had the Flash of Two Worlds. That was an episode. That's what I'm thinking of. Or the Once in Future Flash, that was another one. I would actually quite like that as a structure. Let's see the original, original version of the Flash that the show promised in its first season. And I don't know, they feed it in in some way. I'm not sure how, but I think it would work. Because it would give us something different and it would help us understand Thawne a bit better. And it's just an interesting alternate take on what Barry could have been had... His mother never been killed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thought. But anyway, back to this. The season that we're talking about. Oh, God, there's so many tangents. Yeah, I just went off on a complete tangent. Oh, but right. I don't know. It was just something I was thinking about as I was watching, shall we say, classic Flash? Back when it was good. Original. Yeah. The OG season that was still good and back when I still loved the show and things. I think one thing they did pretty well in the second half of the season was played around with the Barry and Irish relationship in ways I didn't really expect. So you had the mirror duplicate thing, which is a trope we've all seen a million times. Oh, yeah. It's your wife, but not your wife. So who knows? And I like the idea of what it seemed early on, that this version of Iris has the same thoughts and feelings as the real one, but she's not afraid to express them, which suggests that there's some fundamental issues in their relationship that neither of them are addressing that could play in when the real Iris returns because Barry will be thinking about, did you really mean all these things? Do you really think I'm suffocating you? Do you really think I'm too controlling? Do you really think I'm too overprotective? That kind of stuff. And the real Iris could just be like, "Mm, yeah, now that I think about it, I do think those things. And these things do bother me. And we should discuss that. Actually have a conversation and not just leave someone with the specific rejoinder as I storm out the door. Yeah. Because I think if they don't do that, then the whole mirror duplicate plot is pointless. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because ultimately it hasn't led anywhere. It hasn't informed their characterization in any way, other than the fact that they really missed each other and they're really happy to be reunited. Yeah, which is the kind of thing that you would just take as read and, and not something particularly special. 
Yeah, and the thing is, they can have problems and still be functioning as a couple. You know, not every problem is we must break up over this. Well, given how a lot of relationships are written, you'd be surprised for thinking otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always the case. They did try and do the couple therapy stuff, was it in season four? But it was more played for laughs than actually anything serious. And yeah. It didn't resolve anything, I don't think. It was more they were just adjusting to the fact that they were working together, which was not easy, I guess, for them. But do you need to go to a therapist about the fact that you work together and it's not easy? Not. Yeah. And uh, another thing which I'd mentioned to you previously was once Iris returns from the Mirror World and establishes that the version of her that replaced her was effectively like her, but so much more brash and unconcerned of people's feelings and domineering and controlling. And while she was behaving like that, then it never crossed anybody's mind that she might be an imposter, even though there's been a multitude of ways thus far shown that metahumans can impersonate people. And so that will... Not that will, but that could lead Irish to consider, well, is this really how people see me? Is this is yeah. really what they, what they think of me? Do you really think I'm that kind of person? Yeah. And I did like when Barry finally realised, after he'd been kicked out, and everyone just thought he was a crazy person because he was going about it the wrong way. And I think they'd actually engineered it quite cleverly because they'd had a long period of time where Iris wasn't interacting with anyone really outside Camilla, Allegra and Barry and Joe as well here and there. So Cisco wasn't in a position to notice. Caitlin or Frost wasn't in a position to notice. Ralph wasn't really in a position to notice. So I think if everyone had been oblivious to the fact and been around her so frequently, it would have been tough to swallow. But I think the fact that everybody was kind of off doing their own thing really helped with this because it meant that her pool of interactions was more limited. Yes, and also, as I just mentioned, Barry is dumb. He is. He's very dumb. Yeah, he kind of always was a bit weirded out and found it a bit strange. But there's so many things they could do with this, and I've got a f- funny feeling they're not going to do any of them. Yeah, I'm kind of suspecting that myself. Yeah, just because wasted potential is the one thing we can rely on from this show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's one thing about it that they could really do, and I think they did it especially well in Buffy, was in season four when Faith took over her body. Spoilers for Buffy season four, <laughs> if you care. If you don't want Buffy season four spoiled, skip to some time index, I don't know. It depends yeah. how long it takes me to say this. Yeah, yeah, so spoilers for a show that aired about, about 20 years ago. Yeah, it's fine. You've probably seen it if you're watching The Flash. I'm just making a sweeping assumption there. So in that season, Faith, who was an evil, sort of not evil, slayer took over Buffy's body for an episode and ended up sleeping with her boyfriend in her body which for poor Riley he's not going to know he wasn't around her that much in that episode so he's not really in a position to understand what's necessarily going on here but when Buffy gets her body back it bothers her even though she knows that it probably shouldn't because he wasn't really to know but she kind of feels like he should know and feels that he has some responsibility for noticing these things because they're together and it creates a rift between them that lasts for a little while before they are able to move past it. So there's something like that as well. It was a copy of me you were with, not me. I'm weirded out by that. I kind of feel like you cheated on me, even though you kind of haven't. It's a strange one. Even though she looked like me, it wasn't me. And how could you have not realised this? Yeah. I mean, The Flash is an asexual show anyway, so all they do is drink coffee or (laughs) something like that. So I guess it's not that big a deal. (laughs) We could be intimate, or I could write this story that I'm not writing. I'm just sitting around talking about writing a story, which I can relate to, to be fair. 
I spend a lot of time thinking about things that I should be doing and not doing them, such as editing podcasts. Well, that's the problem of responsibility that you've given yourself. You don't feel like you're letting anyone down when you don't do it. So, Except for yourself. You're sitting there four hours later. You're like, I could have edited that podcast by now. It's like, I could have had it done now and I'd have to do it later. Yeah. One day I'll learn. I don't know when. I'm like Barry, I'll never learn. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot to play with there. And I thought they did it really interestingly. And there were some bits that I quite enjoyed where Barry would be upset and Joel would be like, come on, Iris. He's upset again. He's always upset. <laughs> you need to go and speak to him. And she's like, oh, yeah, oh, I'll go do that. And then she speaks to him and gives him the platitude he needs to hear. And then they move on with their lives. It's just an interesting spin on here's what we always do. There's going to be a conversation in a corridor, but it's a reluctant conversation because fake Iris doesn't think it's necessary. Good stuff. And I really do hope I'm wrong about the fact that they're going to ignore it in the future. Yeah, me too. So I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. So who else have we got? We've got Sue Dearborn, who finally gets introduced. And she was a real breath of fresh air. I (laughs) I thought she was great. She's the shot in the arm. I've said that before. But she has a shot in the arm that, that is needed. She's abrasive. She's independent. She's a little bit mischievous. I think her and Ralph bounce off each other really well. And I think Ralph has massively improved as a character over the past season or so. I think he's very well used now and works really well. And I think they bounce off each other brilliantly. You can sort of see how that will develop over time. Assuming she comes back, because I don't think she's announced for next season yet. I think they're just holding on to her as a character they, they can bring back as and when they decide to. Yeah. And whether or not they're going to use her for, in any lengthy arc or have her stick around for any length of time is something that they will decide later. Well, the fact that she's been framed for murder suggests that she might be just be hanging around in Star Labs. That's where all fugitives go. Or wrongfully accused fugitives. Yeah, because as you say, no one looking for you can ever find you there. Yeah. Apart from anybody that can just walk in. <laughs> But she was really good. I didn't know what to think of what they were going to do with her. I know that in the comics, Elongated Man is essentially defined by his relationship to her. Or they're sort of defined by their relationship to each other. Yeah, and she's not used in a good way. No, as most female characters from certain times. (laughs) Really not something that's really want to go into that well. But I imagine that if she does reappear, whatever fate befalls her will be markedly less unpleasant. Yeah. And they'll probably do the relationship thing. I think part of the problem in the show is it's getting very heavy on cast and it's not getting any better. I mean, we've already had it announced that Allegra and Chester are going to be joining the main cast next season and we're not losing anyone. So it's a big cast. Yeah, and we've got a finite amount of time in every episode. Yeah. And there's only so much that you can do with each person in the time that you're given. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Allegra fits in because she's naturally tied to whatever Iris is up to. Yeah, exactly. Fine. That's fine. She's already got a place in that sense. She doesn't hugely interact with Team Flash, at least not initially. She does a lot in the last few episodes. But Chester, I don't know. He's basically Curtis, though. Yeah, yeah. Things, and that's part of the problem is that we're like, we've kind of already got the tech guy in, in Cisco. Yeah. I've got science people in Cisco and Caitlin. So... And this adds a bit of a loss as to as to what he's going to bring to the table that isn't already there. Yeah. It's the past couple of seasons it's been all, is Cisco leaving? Because they keep sending him down plots that suggest that he might leave. Maybe Carlos Valdez had some kind of opportunity that might have materialised and then didn't. 
Yeah, maybe. I can't think of much that they did with Cisco this season. It wasn't really a big season for him. No, again, he's just kind of there. He had to his, deal with Gypsy's death, which was... Yeah, yeah that's, that's the thing I was, I was going to mention about, about some, yeah. of, some notable occurrences. Yeah, another relationship I didn't care about, so... Yeah, things, again, because it's also little yeah. of it developing. Yeah, so he didn't really do much. They had the kind of post-crisis, I'm going to tour the world and see what's different. That didn't really come to anything. But I did yeah. like it when he was freaking out and he opens his shirt and he's got the Superman t-shirt and he's like, I don't remember buying this shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it actually something, something for the show that was just a reason for him to not be there? Yeah. For whatever reason. And they had an episode with Hartley as well which suggested he could join the cast at some point because... He's more developed than your average villain of the week. Yeah, because he's now morally ambiguous. Yeah, well, of remember crisis. when he became a friend because of time travel and then disappeared completely afterwards. Actually, I'd forgotten. Yeah, it was in season two, the episode where Barry goes back in time to ask Don about improving his speed. And he makes a change to the timeline because of the time wraiths. I remember them. <laughs> <Weren't> <laughs> no. They? Yeah. yeah. But he makes a change to the timeline because of that. And then when he gets back into the present, it turns out that Hartley is their friend now. But then he leaves immediately. So Crisis changed that, and now you've got this whole thing. I mean, I don't think that Hartley will join the cast full-time, although I wonder what the actor is actually doing instead than this. And we don't need another full-time member of the cast. Certainly not. Remember when they used to use their characters really well in the previous seasons? Everybody kind of had a purpose and a place, and... We took them in directions. and Yeah, I do. It's a very fond memory that I frequently return to. Yes, <laughs> and wish that such days would come around again. Yeah. I mean, I literally have nothing to say about Chester, other than the fact that he's essentially just Curtis. Yeah, I don't either. He's a smart, techie guy who talks really fast and talks a lot, and is a massive nerd about superhero stuff. Exactly. He's just someone excited to be there. Yeah, same guy, basically. And yes, and there's really not a lot you can do with that. No, not a lot at all. So a significant plot that we had in the second half of the season was the fact that the Speed Force died. Yes, because reasons. Because of Oliver. It's all Oliver's fault this time. Yes, it's not all Barry's fault. Well, I mean, for Barry, he well, well, did. But yeah, he didn't know. Like, that's fair enough. He didn't know that the Spectre Energy was going to destroy the Speed Force. So. And, and it turns out that that random forehead tap actually was a real thing and not just some of the powers in you all the whole time moment. Yeah, so that's good. But I was shocked that it happened because knowing the show as I do, when Wally showed up and then they found out that Speed Force was dying, I kind of expected them to have it fixed by the end of the episode. But no, it's a thing that's ongoing and is having consequences. Yeah. Remember those? Yeah, I know. And I think it worked wonders for the show itself because... It added tension to the action sequences that we haven't seen in a while. Because most of the time, Barry just almost loses because he's stupid or he doesn't use the powers that we know he has. So if you used flash time in every encounter, you would never lose because no one would know what you're doing. Exactly. And there hasn't been any justification as to why he hasn't been or why he can't. Yeah. But now there is. Because he doesn't yes. find out about speeding his system. And the fact that it sort of gives out randomly when he's running, that's good. Because, again, yeah. it adds extra 
tension and it's adversely affected when he's too emotional yeah which is all the time exactly yes <laughs> i like his little watch that just glows red when, yeah. when he's too upset and things like that that's, that's great danger deal. yeah the one thing about it is we never quite get a clear sense of how much speed he actually has yeah well i think that's just because it's however much the plot requires him yeah. to have at any given moment and it's not exactly something which can well, it's something that can be numerically quantified, but but not in not in the heat of the moment though. Yeah, I mean they could just come up with a percentage gauge or something like that. Gives an idea. Twenty percent of your available power. Yeah, so like, it's like like you're dropping by point one percent every second. You maintain this speed or whatever. Because we're at the end of the season and we still don't really know how much he has left. Because I kind of expected maybe after he healed after Eva's attack, that would be it. Yeah. Yeah. That but it's not. He still has a little bit left. And I'm hoping the artificial speed force that they're building will have some far-reaching consequences as well. Like, it'll affect him in different ways. Toward he won't be able to rely on it as much. Like, the power that he gains from it will be more temperamental, but also possibly not as potent. Yeah, he'll be slower, or if he tries and shares it with someone like Wally, it'll be divided, and, and things like that. I think that there's a lot they can do there. But I think ultimately the end game for this will be that the speed force is reborn in some way sadly i think you're right yeah because eventually returning to the status quo is usually what happens yeah i think if it comes as a result of a sacrifice of some sort like if barry uses the last of his power or something like that to light that spark in the same way that oliver did to restart the universe because it would kind of be a version of the crisis on infinite earth's comic book thing where barry is the bolt of lightning that gave him his powers. Yes, yeah. Yes, excuse me. Yeah, but instead he's the genesis of a new speed force, so he essentially gives birth to every new speedster that can exist. But I don't know if they'll do that. And also might have a potential issue with him not being able to access it, at least temporarily, because he's going to need to be returned to like his full speedster power at some point. But reducing him to a state where he isn't able to constantly rely on his speed could actually make for some interesting dynamics in how he handles villains. Yeah, they touched on that where they had it's Barry Allen that's the hero, not the Flash, and there's ways that you can outthink them. And when he was running against Godspeed, it was he doesn't know the city as well as I do. And then they just ran around for a bit and they really show how his knowledge of the city had helped. And also, we had previously established that he doesn't know the city that well in the post-crisis timeline. That is true, yes. Because <laughs> he ran to where he thought his parents' grave was, and it was like a crossroads or something. Yeah. Like a, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Barry, you don't know. And then Godspeed just still almost beats him, or the Godspeed drone, or whatever the hell it was, I'm not really sure. I don't know much about Godspeed in the comics, but I know he's not a drone. Yeah, he's it's, it's not someone I'm familiar with either actually so i think he's just a crazy speedster who thinks he's a god or has a god complex yeah that sounds plausible yeah but i'm not sure and the show hasn't really told me anything about him because he is just probably one of thon's drones because that's probably what he is and because sometimes it seems that the most thought that gets put into it is what if we had a speedster but they were evil (laughs) yeah i mean he's not even evil he's just a speedster (laughs) that's yeah. Slightly antagonistic. But I like the loss of the speed force and, and how that impacts. And I really liked Wally's return. I thought he was used really well. I mean, it's not something you can say about Wally all that often. Hmm. He's usually a disaster, but he was really good. I liked the sequence where he just takes apart the helicopter while it's in midair. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was actually brilliant. Yeah. 
and then he shouts at Barry and then immediately walks back because he's, it's not very zen of him. Yeah, I wonder what Keenan Lonsdale's is going on in his head because I know he left because he just wanted to concentrate on his sense of well-being or something like that, or that's what he said. But it was good they had him back for one episode. Still yep. haven't answered whether Jesse's alive yet or not. That's a shame. I don't think whether or not they've decided if the multiverse is ever going to get opened up again. Oh, it'll happen at some point. I mean, like you said, you have to return to that status quo. Hmm. It'll be when they do Infinite Crisis in like five seasons. <laughs> yeah. And then they'll do Final Crisis in another five seasons. When Grant Gustin's like, how have we had 16 seasons of The Flash? We've, we've beaten <laughs> Supernatural's record somehow. <laughs> We've had nine seasons of Batwoman and she's been recast four times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting plot and I didn't expect it to come to anything. And if you think about it, the Flash did die in crisis in a sense because the Speed Force dies and that's the source of his power. So there might be no Flash eventually. I suppose, yeah, so it did come through just in a less literal sense. Yeah, that means Nora can't really exist, at least not in that way. That's true. It was a shame because I liked her. Yeah. They kind of forgot about her quite quickly. The first couple of episodes of the season were like, oh yeah, Nora's dead and that's a shame, but don't worry, she'll be born eventually, maybe. So was there any episodes that really stood out to you over the course of the season? The ones that you remember, <laughs> for one thing. Or any sequences within episodes, I suppose. I want to pick one. Um, just as you previously mentioned, is the uh, episode when Gypsy was killed. Just because it uh, seemed to come out of nowhere. And it was just there's this like sudden, meaningless loss. Yeah. Which is quite unusual for a show like this to have, and especially when it wasn't reversed somehow by the episode's end. Yeah, and they couldn't um, even get the actress back, so it was like some stunt person that was killed. Yeah, just like a random stand-in. Yeah. But in a way, I actually did quite like that, because that's what happens in real life. Sometimes you just lose people, and there doesn't need to be some kind of great significance or meaning behind it. Yeah. When they're there, and the next they're gone, and then... All you can do is just try to carry on afterwards. Yeah. And it isn't something which is acknowledged all that often. And I quite like seeing them deal with it. Well, I kind of think that each of the Arrowverse shows, and I think we'll touch on it in different ways as we work through them, is they have been approaching how people handle grief in sort of infinite combinations, which is great. Although I think The Flash has that tendency to be, it's all they talk about. When they're upset about loss, that's all they talk about, which isn't real. You know, you don't do that. It doesn't occupy your every conversation all day, every day. You discuss other things. You focus on other things. You try and find other things to do. Because you have to find other things to think about and focus on. Yeah. Because if you didn't, then you'd drive yourself insane. Yeah, exactly. And I think that Flash was going a bit too heavy with the approach to it, especially in the second half, where they think Iris and Camilla have been lost. And that's kind of all they're talking about. And they're always so morbid and morose. And it's like, no, no, you, you can still crack a smile when you're grieving. That's okay. It does happen. Because you will be thinking or talking about other things. And I think the way they front-loaded it in the first half of the season was much better, where it was, we will soon be grieving. And you have the idea of, mourning someone that you're going to lose so Barry in effect had a terminal illness early on and it's a shame even though it would have killed the show that they can't follow up on that or they couldn't pull the trigger on that because it did get resolved which was necessary but also disappointing in that sense because I think they did a lot of great work with everybody preparing for the fact that he wasn't going to be in their lives anymore 
especially Joe. I think he had a really great scene with Barry where he's like, I'm not ready, and kept going with that. But it was an interesting approach because obviously the fact that someone's going to die in some weird time-travelling, universe-ending struggle is not something that very many people can relate to. But the fact that someone knows they're going to die and knows roughly when it's going to happen, that is real. And that happens all the time. And then in dealing with it, as you mentioned, it's not necessary to constantly be morbid about it. Yeah. It's not like feeling a positive emotion while you're grieving is a betrayal of the person that you've lost. Yeah. But that seems to be the unspoken implication. Yeah, and I wish they'd done more with it as well. I wish they'd done... Let's have an episode where Barry and Iris take a day off so they can just spend some time together. We can just get to see what a day of married life for Iris and Barry is. Because you don't really get that sense at all. Because they're always just working together on the next problem. So it's like I said, it's that texture thing. You don't get any texture to these relationships, which makes them hard to invest in. Yeah, and so for Barry and Iris, just members of Team Flash is all that they are. And all that they are together. Which is really not the healthy basis for a relationship. Yeah, and if there is more to it, then show us that there's more to it. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's one thing Supergirl does very well. They do game night. They go and do karaoke. And these are scenes that aren't plot-focused. It's just them having a good time together because they like being around each other. Yeah, they sit on a table drinking in a bar, just having conversations. Yeah, simple as that. And that's something Flash could do a lot more of, for sure. It's kind of the, the more it gets better, the more there are still lingering issues. I thought the Joe Witness protection plot was rubbish because he goes away and then he's back a couple of episodes later and you don't really see what he's doing while he's away. Why doesn't Cecile go with him? That doesn't make any sense. Again, it's just like that plot requirement thing that isn't ever properly justified. Yeah. But how good would it have been to have a subplot where Joe and Cecile go off and they do stuff while they're in Witness protection? Yep, and I'll see them operating a bakery in some small town in Omaha or something. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be fine. Be something different. Be something good to see. So... I do think that they need to focus on the fact that Team Flash have personal lives because they don't seem to have personal lives, which is limiting. I mean, Arrow has that problem too, or did have that problem. Well, it was a bit more justifiable in Arrow just because everyone on that show was so serious about everything all the time. (laughs) It's like like nobody ever switches off. Yeah. Always need to be ready and focused to meet the next danger. Yeah. And in Legends, you're always seeing them goofing off. That's that's literally what they do. Yeah. They're goofing off for a bit and then they get stumbled into a mission and then that's it. Or the mission is them goofing off sometimes. It's like, we've got to do this mission, but it doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be like serious. We'll just have a bit of fun with it. Okay, a recent episode where a stag party for Ray turned into a mission to save the works of Shakespeare from being turned into superhero stories. Yeah. And we'll definitely talk about that when we do the Legends podcast. Hell yes, we will. Yeah. So in terms of notable episodes, I can't really think of any specific episodes that I thought, oh, that was really good, or that was really bad. So it's a bit of a middling approach. It was very watchable for the most part. I think some of the action sequences were quite good, particularly in the last episode. I don't know whether the editors just had more time than usual and just decided to go nuts and shove in <laughs> all the panels. And... Yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, it was. The Eric Bana Hulk movie gets a bit chastised for that approach, but that's because it does it in every bloody scene. 
I think as an isolated sequence, it worked really well and it, it helps you keep track of the moving parts. There's just so many people involved, but it's fine because you're watching four panels at once. Exactly. So it stops there needing to, to be so many quick cuts between perspectives and characters. Yeah, so you could follow it. It was fun. It looked good. It was dynamic. It doesn't help that the light-based villains are all just glorified henchmen that look like they're in Swedish pop videos. <laughs> but, I mean, we have to stop expecting The Flash to do right by its antagonist by this point. True. Even Grodd. I'm sick of Grodd now. I think they've ran out of things to do with Grodd. Yeah, there's not really much more potential to do with him. After they turn him into someone half not exactly a villain kind of thing, but uh, so if they try to think anything more, they'd just be there. Yeah, well, they tried to redeem him in that episode, which I didn't really buy. And then it was another Mindscape thing that they had to escape from. And I don't know. The novelty of how good the special effects are on Grodd has well and truly worn off by this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, they look good, okay, but can we actually get something interesting with them? Although they have suggested that Gorilla City is on Earth Prime now. Mm. I'd like to do something weird like they do in the comics, you know, where there's a meeting of the United Nations or whatever they call it in DC Comics and there's a gorilla just there <laughs> representing its country. That's the kind of stuff I want to see eventually. And I think they've got the potential for that because Earth Prime can be quite weird. And also been stated that Atlantis exists on this Earth. Yeah. But whether it's just yeah. another city that hasn't sunk, you know, that's probably what it's going to be. So you're not hopeful of them bringing Aquaman? I don't think it's going to happen. I've been wrong before, but I don't think it's going to happen. And they've done Aqualad on Titans, haven't they? So they're not going to do it here. Yeah, they did. Though he wasn't in it for very long. Though. Yeah, but he was there. So, I don't know. Might do Mira. I don't really know many other Aquaman characters that they could just chuck in. So, a lot of ones like the villains, like Ocean Master and Black Manta. Yeah. I don't think they're going to do the Atlantis thing, but I really wish they would just stop teasing things like that, where Cisco's like, I'm off to Atlantis to pick up something that will help us win this mirror problem. But you're not going to see it. Yeah, I also think the other problem might be that they genuinely think that it's it's world building. Just have these random comments. It's not that, though. It's just something else that you're not doing. Yeah. I mean, at least in Legends, they showed us Themyscira. Sorry. Yeah, well, they showed the island and yeah. that it existed. And the kind of woman that a figure from Greek myth would turn into a few years after being dropped onto it. Yeah. And that's world building, definitely. But it's not to just mention that somewhere exists and that someone has been there. It's like, you won't believe what I saw here. It's like, no, I won't, because you're not going to show me. Show, don't tell. It's like rule number one. <laughs> Exactly. I'd say we've covered the season to some degree. Yeah, I think we've been through it to a reasonable extent, hey? certainly. Yeah, so do you have any sort of predictions for next season or what you'd like to see or what you think will happen or what you think won't happen? Yeah, well, just generally what I would most like to see is just the general quality of the show continue to improve. I did used to absolutely love The Flash and I really, really want to, but it just isn't good enough for me to love it anymore. (laughs) But I just wanted to get back to that point so it can be something that I look forward to watching rather than something that I just have to watch as a necessity of keeping on top of things. That's the same for me. I think it needs to keep improving. I think they're on the right track. I think it just goes to show that they did so much damage to it over a couple of bad seasons that it's really hard to just make it good again. There's certain things you have to fix. And I think there's certain mistakes that they're still making that need to be ironed out. But 
if it continues under this level of quality and continues to sort of gradually improve, then at least I won't begrudge watching it once a week when it eventually comes back, which is next year at this point. Weird to think that. that yeah, we won't see any of this until 2021, and hopefully that will even be allowed to happen. Who knows? I mean, who knows what this is going to affect? But they talked about the fact that filming might change completely so they might have to like, alter the way they do fight scenes or love scenes which won't affect the flash that's it <laughs> <laughs> certainly the fight scenes will it affect them much not really barry runs in is replaced by digital effect that's yeah, it there's some slow motion lightning crackling around the relevant villain and that's it so we'll see what happens but i think they've set up some good stuff with eva mcculloch i think they've set up some potentially good stuff with iris coming back she could be a villain for a while, because it's suggested that she's going a bit nuts in there. True, yeah. I'd quite like to see that. And that could be a way that they address the fact that she does have issues with their relationship. Because again, it would be a nice subversion if Barry just assumes, oh, she's not in her right mind. She's, you know, she's not thinking clearly and she doesn't mean all those horrible things she said. And then when she comes back to normal, inevitably it'll be, oh no, I did actually mean those things that I said. I just didn't quite mean to be so brutal about it it's the red kryptonite cara thing no there is some truth to what i said that's kind of what i expect or kind of what i want i suppose is there anything interesting about somebody being unpleasant just for the sake of it no there needs to be some reason behind what they're saying yeah and there's some justification for it yeah and the fact that we've always assumed that our relationship is perfect the reality is that it's not and we've been kidding ourselves that's a legitimate conflict that can be easily played with yes and Everyone would love to see something like that. Yeah, me too. Looks like we're going to get another Caitlin Frost family story, which I couldn't really give two craps about, to be honest. Yeah, I'm just kind of like waiting for that to be inevitably finished. So then whatever they do next with the two characters can begin, which will be more interesting than this. Or will it? Probably not. It's probably going to be the same. I remain in hope. Yeah. I want to see more Sue. Sue will be good. More Sue. Natalie Dreyfus is really good in that role. I'd like to see more of her. Yeah. Next season's a weird one because this season was a weird one. So I think we're in a strange place televisually with most of these shows. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do once they find out what they're able to do. Yeah. Watch this space. So do you have anything final that you'd like to say? Anything you'd like to see next season? Any final thing you think about this season? Just as a a bit of a wrap-up. Just generally reiterating vague comments uh, about being glad that this season has improved things slightly, and I just hope it can continue. That's succinct enough. I agree. I think this season has been much better than before. There's things about it that interest me. I got to the end of the season wanting to see what happened next, which is not something I've felt in a long time, especially at the end of a season of The Flash. So, well done, guys. You've managed to turn it into something watchable whoever is responsible whoever the new showrunner is is it eric wallace is that his name that sounds right yes well well done eric wallace whoever you are you've done a good job yes you've managed to turn disinterest into mild curiosity yeah and i think next season there's a potential to be better than this season because they don't have the specter of crisis hanging over them for the first half yes so You don't have to devote large chunks of time to building up something that maybe you have no interest in building up to because you've got other stories you want to tell. Yeah, because when one story that you're telling is ultimately beholden to the commencement of of the next one, 
then you're always going to be limited in how much you can do with it. Yeah. And now that they're free of such restrictions, then there's the potential for them to do more interesting things. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And next season's crossover isn't even going to involve The Flash, as far as we're aware. Instead, it'll be Superman and Lewis and Batwoman. But probably not now. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a good time to scale back the whole crossover situation anyway, because every year it's been rapidly escalating, and now it's at the point where it's escalated beyond... Just beyond. Remember the first crossover was basically the Flash and Arrow swapping, hunting Captain Boomerang and Rainbow Raider. And fighting each other. And yeah, and in a few short years progressed into countless universes being obliterated. Yeah, so it's, it's escalation, and escalation's fine to a point, but you do have a whole universe now, that, especially now with its one universe, and you can play around with different size crossovers, I think. And maybe they don't have to make a big deal out of the crossover if you're going to do that, you just have to build in some time for, I don't know, Supergirl to turn up on The Flash for a bit, or vice versa. Or like they were doing, to be fair, when The Flash started, it's like, oh, Diggle's in this one. That kind of thing. Jean's here this week, for some reason. That's fine. And that's the thing, it often doesn't need to be anything more than that. Yeah. Because the simple act of having a character from a different show into your one makes it interesting in itself. Because it creates a new dynamic that can be played with. And the reason for them being there can be played back and forth between shows. Yeah, and there are secondary characters that I would like to have seen meet at some point. What do Jean and Joe look like when they interact? That'd be an interesting one. I'm kind of still salty about the fact that Wynn and Cisco never met. That would have been fun. Yeah. So the side characters can do different things because Diggle had a different dynamic with Barry on his own than he does when Barry's there during a crossover and so on. There's all these side characters that could have interesting interactions with different people if they just showed up. So, as I've said, John. Yeah, he can be in Central City chasing up a lead on the detective agency that he totally has and doesn't neglect. Let's have Mary turn up and, I don't know, who could she interact with? Mary and Cecile might be quite fun. Yeah, that would work. Luke and Cisco, I guess. Or Cisco and Dreamer. Yeah. Because they're having like, uh, like prophetic powers. Yeah, so they could do all these things. That's the kind of stuff I'd like to see. So I guess we'll see in 2021 what this looks like. But for now, I think we can say we're quite happy with the fact that the show is getting better and there are things going on that are worth watching. So that's definitely worth something. It's worth a couple of pages in someone's book, I guess. Definitely. So on that note... I will let you go back to your own universe, assuming it still exists, or if it's still open, or whatever. Maybe it's the universe that isn't ravaged by a plague. Well, I'm peering through the portal, and I can see sunshine, so hopefully it's still there. Yeah, well, with any luck. So thank you for being here, and I'll see you on the next (laughs) one, the next DC Arrowverse show podcast that we do, that we may have already done in the future, or in the past, or whenever. Who knows? Can't wait. Can't wait. So that was our Flash Season 6 podcast. Thanks to YouTuber Neil Stenson for the intro music and thanks to YouTuber Dagma for the outro music. If you enjoyed this, then why not subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or any major podcasting app. If you want to discuss The Flash, The Arrowverse, the DC Universe or anything else, then why not reach out on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod. <laughs>